It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. You're listening to Teal for Change on the Sharks Audio Network with your hosts, Mo Fafana and Whitney Halleck. Welcome back for part two of our interview with Sharks player Curtis Gabriel and former pro turned advocate Brock McGillis. As you know, Curtis is one of the most outspoken advocates for the LGBTQ plus community in the league. And Brock was the first pro hockey player to come out as gay. If you missed part one of this interview, make sure you go back and listen. It is episode two of the Teal for Change podcast. Now, more with Brock and Curtis. People underestimate the power of language and how sometimes it can be used to dehumanize people who are different than them. You know, being aware of it, I think, again, depending on like where you grow up, sometimes it may be cool, you know, to, to grow up and, and hearing those things, like you mentioned, like they're so gay, like all of us that grow up playing, you know, sports like Curtis mentioned have been part of, you know, the toxic masculinity, especially in sports where it's like everyone is trying to measure up their testosterone versus the next male, right? And being aware of the language that we're using. And oftentimes, like what I find is that kids or sometimes adults may know that what they're saying is wrong, but whether it is like their their colleagues or their teammates, they feel like outnumbered. You know, what do you say, you know, you guys have been in this locker room and like being an ally now, like when you're in spaces where you feel outnumbered, speaking out, like the importance of speaking out in those spaces, can you guys speak on that? That's an interesting one, right? Like it's, uh, I, I would never expect say 20 year old Curtis to be in the locker room first year pro and start calling guys out for saying that, right? I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't aware, I wasn't prepared. So, but yeah, what, once you are aware, uh, once you do, you start hearing about this more, like how often do we hear about LGBT uh, social justice issues? It's all over the place now. You start to see on this more, you start to cup on, you start to listen to me and Brock talk, listen to you guys talk, start to gather your own resources and you're going to be ready when you're ready, I guess is what I think, but it's just, it's just getting uncomfortable. Like, you, you know, you guys both work jobs with the sharks to get to where you are. You had to get uncomfortable. You had to go to school. You had to work a couple, maybe a job or two to, to go to school. You had to do things that were a means to an end, but we need to start getting uncomfortable and having doing means to an end to end these issues. If you consider yourself a human being, we need courageous people ready to step up. And um, I listened to this awesome podcast out of Canada with this uh, speaker, Shaquille Chaudhry, and he was talking about racism, for example. You know, if you're on a, uh, you're on a subway up in Canada, where we were talking about or a bus and you see someone, you know, verbally assaulting uh, an interracial couple or a black person, you don't, I'm not asking, I'm not everybody's going to go in there and insert themselves into a physical altercation. I don't want that. We don't, I don't want violence, but there's no problem with, you know, moving towards the people that are being attacked and letting know that you're, you're on their side, you, you're, you're with them and to let the person know that how they're acting is not okay. We need to start having courageous people that do those things. I'm not asking people to insert themselves into dangerous situations. We need people willing to step up to change things for good. Would you want that person to step up for you when you're on the bus and you're being verbally assaulted by some person? Yeah, I would love someone to do that for me and not have to do it by myself. We need to stick together. And, <laughs> and to that, there's like, I look at, and I, I talk a lot about language when I speak, and, and uh, I look at a few different types, direct language, 
which is that harassment that Curtis is talking about, right? It's direct at somebody. People might call it bullying or, or something along those lines. Indirect language, that off-the-cuff stuff, like, oh, that's okay, instead of being disappointed, or like the microaggressions might fall more under that realm at times. Laughter. So when you hear somebody saying something and you laugh at it because you are uncomfortable, you don't want to say anything, or you feel like if you don't conform fully to the culture, you will be the next one in that locker room that's teased and made fun of and harassed. So you laugh. Another one is body language. When you see two men together, an LGBTQ plus person, like a trans person, and people get uncomfortable and their body language changes, or they see an interracial couple and, and the same type of thing happens, that body language has as much impact as calling somebody a name. And then the fifth one is silence. And and to me, silence is deafening. And it has as much impact as not saying anything. But language can be going and standing beside them. Language can be standing up. And there's different ways of doing it, right? If you're in a locker room setting, especially the younger you are, it might not be something that you feel strong about, you know, doing in a group setting. But you, and, and I don't necessarily always think it's the best idea because if you come at somebody with the same energy that they're going at somebody else, yes. you're going to create barriers of communication. Yes, And then at that point, nobody's going to hear anything. And we see it a lot online when people go like this. You know what I mean? And there's and there's like rage texting going on and rage tweeting. And then all of a sudden, there's barriers there. My whole thing, and it's not for everyone, it's my belief, is engage and educate. And if you engage somebody and go, hey, you know that comment you made earlier? Don't you have, if it's a homophobic comment, don't you have an aunt who's a lesbian? Didn't you tell me that before or something? And really humanize and put a face to it for them. And then all of a sudden they may be more likely to shift and listen to you and say, you know, like that'll impact so-and-so and this is like the results of that and, and you're hurting people. And, and I think all that type of language, especially in locker room culture and whatnot, has a trickle-down effect. It spreads because they're influencers. It spreads from players at different levels down levels. It also spreads into mainstream society because there's influence. And the more we engage people in shifting it and starting with the language, I think that the sooner we will see shifts in culture. Piggyback a little bit of, uh, about what um, Curtis said, being again, 20-year-old Curtis in the locker room and hearing some of these languages and whatnot. Um, I've seen, you know, in, in sports where, again, being new to these spaces and maybe don't have the, the you know, five years, $10 million contracts and whatnot, where you may not be comfortable in speaking out in this space because you feel like fear of losing something, whether it's your contract, whether it is social media following and whatever the case may be. Um, what would be your advice to, to other athletes? about the importance of speaking up, whether it is about LGBTQ, whether it is about Black Lives Matter, whether it is about, you know, the stop AAPI hate that's going on right now. Because oftentimes, like what I see and read is that the fear of, of you know, losing, you know, their celebrity status or, you know, being liked, right? Mm -hmm. Because if I say this, if I say the wrong thing, then I'm going to like, you know, lose followers. Or I don't want to come out <laughs> as, you know, as gay or I don't want to come out as like supporting this, you know, like mm -hmm. what would be your advice to that? There's no better time to start talking now. We've, I think people like Brock have made it very easy now with the amount of exposure there is to this stuff. You're on the right side of this issue. It just comes down to if you want to be on the right side of history. I was on the wrong side of it when Colin Kaepernick took a knee and I kind of sat back and said, wow, good for him. I totally agree with him and then moved on instead of voicing my opinion and voicing my my, my support and I dropped the ball there and I'm okay to say that that's being me being vulnerable and saying I need to do better and now I am doing better so there is no 
excuse, I think. You, you, what, are you, what are you worried about losing? The hateful people in your life? The ignorant people that haven't changed? You, you see me getting signed by the San Jose Sharks. Doug Wilson from the top, the, the ownership, the, the president. Yeah, yeah. That's, I don't want to play for a team that doesn't want to sign someone who's speaking out like me. And why would you want a follower that doesn't support what you do? Now, there's double sides to that. We want <laughs> followers to listen to us and we want to in, invite them in instead of call them out uh, if we if we can help it. And uh, I think there's no reason not to at this point. This is the time to get together. This is the quarantine. An awful thing happened, but good things always come from bad things. And like Brock said, we were able to sit down and dive into these issues more and start to realize that there is a movement against hate, not just against you know, moving to black lives, move, there's a move, or LGBT, it's a movement against hate right now. And it, we're chopping that thing down. We're moving the needle more towards love. And why it's so important is for even... Last year, I was only a year into uh, speaking on LGBT issues, and I, t- I I texted Brock the day I got this message from a kid saying, "Hey, I I followed you now for since you did the pride tape and." Uh, I got all my all my teammates to stop using homophobic language, and it's like a, a, a team of young boys. And I'm just like, like, yeah. you know, awesome. but that's that is massive. And, and Brock's like, you're making your own little shift makers, just like how he had those guys doing 50 push-ups that they use a homophobic slur up in Sudbury. Like, that's the change, and that's why it's important. Could you imagine when I was young, I went to a tier two junior A game in my hometown, and I thought it was big. I thought it was the NHL. I thought I, I, I won. I won a puck. I got a jersey. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Now I'm in gate. I'm an NHL player engaging with 10 year old kids on about how to approach these things and and showing them where the right uh, you know right stories to read and just pushing all the things in the right direction i would be eating that up all day we are such important figures so we need more guys like this and and to that point i think the system has kind of failed yes uh minority people because there's nothing in place like like people say they put their kids in hockey and in sports to learn work ethic learn from a coach learn teamwork hard work you, you you name it why can't we learn about social injustices and creating a space that is safe and inclusive for all and on top of that learn how to engage with people that are different than ourselves than ourselves because when we get into the real world once we're done in sport we we have to mm-hmm. and and i think that's half the the battle with the players like curtis is you know i remember colin wilson played in colorado last year he did an interview and he said something Something and it was twisted and it made it sound like he wouldn't use pride tape because he'd be chirped and made fun of for it. And what he was talking about was like using fluorescent green tape. Nonetheless, I think it's it's an example without drawing. He showed an example of the conformity within the culture. Everyone has to like, you can go anywhere in North America and I can point out the hockey players and no offense, Gabe, so I'm yeah. sorry to say that. But hey, you talked about yourself same. before. You were talking about yourself before too. <laughs> oh yeah, that was me. Dress the same same talk the same walk the same you know so there's a lot of conformity and and they fear sticking out the way curtis Mm -hmm. has stuck out because there's been no education on it so then when somebody misspeaks a little and it's taken out of context he got a lot of hate people reacted and and then i had a conversation with them and tried to help them you know guide them through it but I, i i think you know any advice i would have for any of these people that are thinking about engaging is have conversations with people like us who mm-hmm. are in the trenches and doing it and and we'll help guide you like that we have no problem doing that and, and helping people become allies to different groups and and how to use your voice and put yourself out there and be vulnerable and, and be okay when you say the wrong thing and you get some criticism because th- that comes to you know like Curtis talks a lot about fragility being willing to 
eat some crap along the way because we're not perfect beings and we're going to say the wrong thing and and some people are going to get really upset about it but we'll grow and we'll learn and, and keep going and i think that's that's what's good about this moment in a sense is like i think people have been fearful of saying the wrong thing sometimes you can learn in those opportunities saying oh, the wrong yeah. thing. someone who is informing those areas may reach out and say hey you know, like this was incorrect. And that's a learning opportunity, yes. right? Yes. And in, in, in our organization, we have a club called the Multimedia Club. You know, monthly we have these discussions, whether it's about, you know, race or, or gender. And, you know, we have a conversation and I keep hearing from people like the first, this is the first time I'm having these type of dialogue. Like I'm like in my thirties or in my forties, I've never had this type of conversation before. And again, like you mentioned, providing that space where people can be vulnerable, right? Where it's a safe space. No one is coming here to, to judge you. No one is coming and say, hey, you, you should have learned this at, at this age and whatever the case may be. Understanding that we all have different backgrounds yes. and how we grew up and, and things of that nature is what made us who we are. But there's an opportunity for us to learn from each other, to learn and listen to different stories, right? Um, and I think that's been like so great um, within our organization. We've been doing this now for nine months now with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been great keeping that conversation going. So I definitely agree with, with what you just said there. And, and yeah. that goes to the engage and educate, right? And mm-hmm. instead of, you know, I think everyone is too quick to like call out and criticize. And it's like, well, none of us are perfect beings. Mm-hmm. We've all screwed up in some facet of this. I, I, I've said the wrong thing at times. Was it intentional? Absolutely not. But that's life and, and going to learn and grow. We all have that opportunity. And Curtis said earlier, calling people in, so calling them out. Mm-hmm. And we can develop and grow and, and be human together, make mistakes and learn and love and share, mm-hmm. be open. And then the, the motive, sorry, the motivator part gets struck there from Mo for me because like, let's relate it to hockey for the hockey fans listening. I'm not sitting here talking about this if I didn't learn and grow. I sat back at the start of the quarantine in March. I came home from not playing a game in the NHL last year with the Flyers. I was down in the dumps. I was, I knew I'd let things that I couldn't control, control me again. I did this journaling process and I identified five times that I let not controlling what I could control get in the way and, and, and derailing my career, derailing my life. And I identified as like my hockey success means I'm a good person. So, you know, I, I, everything went bad for me. I had to step back and say, okay, I'm a person first. I'm a human being first. I'm a brother. I'm a boyfriend. I'm a son. I'm a friend. And then I can, okay, now I can, now that I know that and have that self-confidence and the people around me love me, let's step into this uncomfortable thing of, I am a big baby when it comes to, oh, this guy sent down or this, I don't like this. I don't like my line mates here. It had all these things in my head and I just cut it out and I realized it's time to grow up. I took control of what I could control. And that's the reason I'm sitting here today. So we sh- we need to look at failure as an opportunity to grow. The most successful people fail the most. They just didn't stop. And right. it's crazy how people never stop. So let's get uncomfortable and don't be afraid to fail. It's okay to fail the first time you jump into social justice or something. I still make mistakes. I was mm-hmm. talking in the DMs uh, two weeks ago and this lady sent me a nice message. I said, oh, thank you so much. You're such an awesome lady. And she goes, whoops, guess you didn't check my bio and my pronouns. I'm they, them. And I'm like, oh God. And I'm so sorry. And, and you know, she, she luckily had the time or, or was compassionate enough to give me the time to educate me and me to learn that I need to check that. And that's okay. I'm, you have to have thick skin in mm-hmm. life. Failure means you tried. And the only yes. failure is not trying again. Exactly. It's the most cliche thing, but guys, it's a <laughs> yeah. cliche yeah. for a reason. Again, we are speaking with Curtis Gabriel of the San Jose Sharks and Brock McGillis, who now travels the globe as an advocate for the LGBTQ plus community. We thank them both for being so open and honest. 
as well as being so generous with their time. Right now, we're going to turn to address the horrific violence towards the Asian American Pacific Islander or AAPI community. We would like to welcome our colleague, Chi Yen C to the podcast. Chi is a vital member of the team at Oakland ICE. And we are grateful for him. For sharing his perspective on how AAPI hate has affected him, his work, and the youth athletes and families around Oakland. We are really, really excited. We have a colleague on the show today, Chi Yen C. Mo, give a round of applause. Every, everyone We're super can, excited can to have Chi here. He is he's awesome. Um, I've, I've met with them a few times at, you know, Oakland Ice when I went up there to, to visit and see him how passionate he is with working with the kids and just helping the kids become good hockey player, but better people. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're fortunate to have him part of, of the, you know, Sharks organization. So Chi, everybody, for the, welcome Chi. For the listeners who don't know you, um, tell them a little bit about yourself and, and what you do for the Sharks organization. Sure. Uh, well, first, thanks for having me on here. I appreciate you guys taking the time um, and, and asking and um, taking the time out of your day, actually, because I know we're all really busy. So I am, I've been here since, uh, I've been in Oakland since September of 2015. Uh, I started off as a volunteer coach and just really trying to get back to helping out kids. Um, I moved from Boston where um, I was doing my PhD and uh, decided to move out to California and and uh, fell in love with the area and, and and the hockey. I ended up becoming the hockey director in Oakland in June of 2017. Um, and since then, I have volunteered on various boards. Um, right now, currently, I'm a sitting Kaha director. I am a USA Hockey coach developer. And then I recently taken on the role of um, the girls hockey coordinator in San Jose and, and at the same time developing a girls program in Oakland. Wow, that's awesome. You got a lot on your plate there. Yeah, there's there's a lot, uh, and, and and actually there's even more coming up through the ranks. We're doing a little bit more community outreach in Oakland, and really trying to get and establish ice facility as a community center. I don't know if many people have been to downtown Oakland, but it is uh, right in the heart of Chinatown. Actually, the original Chinatown. I just learned that the other day. <laughs> so it's really good local community center that shouldn't just be seen as an ice facility. Um, I, I, I have visions of grandeur and reached out to a few community advocates and some people. I have some. I have a background in engineering, so mm-hmm. um, STEM is really important to me. So there's that aspect of it, and then I also grew up um, with some martial arts. So that aspect of uh, outside of hockey and, and athletic development is another highlight for me. So I mm-hmm. reached out to another organization, or two organizations, where hopefully that'll help fulfill the needs, and uh, we can all work together as a community. That's, That's awesome. awesome. There's bringing a lot, all these different culture and all these different experiences that you know kids that come through the facility can experience and um again like you mentioned making it bigger than hockey right and i think that's that's so cool that you're bringing like you know all these different you know perspective experience that you had um, in your life to these kids that come to the um the ice facility people think of the uh the sharks you know some of our fans think of the sharks but we as employees know that that we have such a massive footprint in the bay area um and it's really awesome the work that you are doing for the community of oakland and that's surrounding area. Tell us a little bit about this past year, though. You talk about how much you're doing and all the work that you're doing. What was it like during this past year to see so many people, you know, struggling, uh, you know, out of work, families trying to juggle, teaching, working, everything, doing from home. The Uh, social unrest, everything. Yes. You talked about the Oakland facility, not just being a sports facility. It's a community center. So talk about your past year. I know I I walked into the rink on, on March 
10th. I think that was a Wednesday. And we were supposed to go to our, our playoffs that weekend. And I had to tell all the kids that, Hey, this isn't going to happen. So that was, that was tough. And then sometime in, uh, you know, over the next couple of weeks, um, we really started, really started to unfold. And, you know, we, we started realizing that like this definitely isn't going to happen. A lot of communication with the kids. Um, I tried to, tried to, uh, a lot of zoom calls, um, as much as everybody knows, like I was on a zoom call almost every day and then, you know, trying to get, you know, 10 to 15 kids on a zoom call to, uh, after they just spent, I don't even know how many hours on, on zoom with the teacher. That was fun, but just actually getting them to interact with each other was really good. Um, it was good for me too. I think the biggest thing that happened over, over the break when we shut down March 13th, I think around May, I decided uh, I needed to go out and see the kids. So I, uh, I made it a point and I also need, I'd been here for five years and I, I don't know the area. I've only gone to hockey rinks and I've only gone to basically just hockey rinks. So I decided to map out um, each, each weekend, I would go and visit a location where a majority of our players lived. Um, and even like if we had one person that was super far away, I would, I'd make that trip. So each weekend I, I grouped together. Uh, I, I got to know the area. So I went to Marin, um, visited all the families in Marin. I went to um, Lafayette, Moraga, Arinda, visited all the families there and really just got to know our member base uh, as far as hockey community. I drove up to uh, Chico, went out to Brentwood, Antioch, Pittsburgh, uh, Castro Valley, Hayward, majority of our kids are outside of Oakland. And, and that, that leads to why it's really important for me to grow the community center inside Oakland, because we, you know, while we do have Oakland families, it's not as much as it's not as many families as I would like. like I think we sit around 20 to 25 families that that are predominantly in Oakland. So I, I did visit those people too, but that was the highlight, like right around May, because in June we opened back up, but in May it was really important to to reach out and, and connect with everybody. And again, that was probably right at the point of uh where there was the social unrest and social injustice, right? End of May. So that was, that was important just to get out, see everybody, talk to everybody, make sure things were good and, you know, just connect. Chi, um, one of the things that we say is that, you know, a lot of what we, we wish to change in the world, you know, it starts with conversation and it starts with building relationships. And it's incredible the, the re- that the relationship building is so important to you. Have you had to have any difficult conversations with some of your kids or colleagues about civil unrest, uh, racial injustices, um, and, and especially most recently mm-hmm. the awful hate crimes against the AAPI community? And, and I shouldn't say just recently, it's just an uptick and um, we're hearing about it more, but more, yeah. Can you tell us about those conversations? Growing up as a kid, I, I started playing hockey when I was 14 and I played all sports. So I didn't, I didn't never really, never really occurred to me that sports were tied to a specific uh, ethnicity. Mm-hmm. So for me, as, as a player growing up, I, I obviously endured a lot of things. Um, and it's not obvious, sorry. I did endure a lot of things and uh, a lot of comments and, and I took it. Mostly because, and I was warned, I think, I think I was warned. I know my parents kind of like tried to guide me or shield me or my brother and my sister would probably be like, Hey, whatever, you know, this. And, and I really just, I just let it roll. I, I didn't, it didn't seem like it bothered me, but I, I looking back now, I can kind of think about it and say, Oh, it, it probably did affect me with our current group of kids. I haven't had to have a conversation mostly because a lot of the kids that come through our organization live in an area or are at least immersed in a community that is diverse and they just know it's wrong. 
whether or not they hear it or see it for themselves, they, they just know. So that's, that's one of the good things about this area. Um, I have had kids come back crying to me on the bench because um, somebody did say something to them. And, and those are the tough ones because as a coach, you, you can't, you can't stop a game because somebody said something, you know, you can't go out there and handle it yourself. And you, you really have to kind of have composure and just ask the kid what happened and just let them talk. Uh, and after the game, you can go and you can have a conversation with the family, have a conversation with the players, the team and the officials and the opposing team and the opposing coaches. It's really hard to think that it's hard to control your, your emotions when something like that happens. And I have, I have let that get to me in previous occasions with older kids. And now it's, it's a little bit of a, you have to showcase yourself as a, as an adult to the younger kids and show them that you have to have composure. The conversations, I, I do brace myself because those, those are the ones that you don't want to have that conversation, um, but you have to have something in, in your back pocket to say something and they're hard. Do you have anything that you would tell um, parents who might be listening you know, what kind of conversations maybe they should be having with their, with their kids. Cause you know, I think every parent thinks, oh, my kid would never do that, mm-hmm. but clearly <clears throat> that's not the case. I don't know. That's, <laughs> that's a, that's a tough one. And it's, all, and it's not I something think, that you should have to educate, you know? I, yeah. I get and, it. and I think one of the biggest things for me is I teach all of our kids or I, I, I try to instill with them values that you know, we treat everybody the same. Um, we're teammates on and off the ice. Um, and and the goal here is when you come into our community, like this is a safe space. There should never be a, an area where you come in and you feel like you, you feel bad. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you feel bad outside of this space. And when you come into this space, it should feel like yours is your home. And I want everybody to feel like they're comfortable. And, and I'll be honest, there are people who come into our facility and sometimes they just don't feel comfortable because mm-hmm. something has happened or not to my knowledge, but it was never brought up. Or maybe it was brought up and I didn't know about it. And it, it's hard. It's hard to kind of get everybody on the same page because there are kids that come in through all walks of life mm-hmm. and some parents who um, do do a really good job of education and some some parents who just don't know. They don't know that their kids are saying things or doing things. That's a hard conversation to have with those families and tell them, hey, look, you know, little so-and-so made a comment. <laughs> and these are things that we don't appreciate and we don't, um, we don't want to have happen again. Do your best to kind of address this at home. But we do have, we do have a player code of conduct. Um, we do have um, those things that kids do sign and play, parents do sign when they come into our organization. It's there, uh, but most people just sign things. They don't do their due diligence of actually reading them. You know, we have a large AAPI population of fans we spoke out on our earlier recording for this second episode. Is there anything that you want to say, not only to our Asian and Pacific Islander fans, but also those who are looking to be allies? What are you hoping that the Sharks organization can put out there in order to make sure that we are doing and leading in the proper way? As, as far as the organization, I think it's more of like, there's a point at which you have to feel like you work for a company that wants to back their your, their employees. Absolutely. And the biggest thing for me is, you know, I'm I don't shy shy away from this, but there have been times where I don't feel like that has happened. Okay. Um, but more recently, it has been an uptick, and I do feel like a big thing is not only just saying something, but doing something, um, and and that's hard because. Not a lot of people know what to do, but I think one of the biggest things is just being present and, and 
making your presence known. I'm sure some of you know about me, but one of my biggest things is we need more representation of not just the company, but representation in general. But we need we need more things that happen that have that are happening in San Jose to come up into Oakland because the people of Oakland need to know that that's that this sports franchise is here to support their community. And I think we're doing a good job. Obviously, I'm 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 a little bit of a perfectionist, so <laughs> there's always there's always room for more. I like what I see and I like what I hear, but I am still going to be putting the pressure on everybody to make sure that the things happen. Whenever we start talking about like social unrest or social justice, we always hear about, oh, you know, stick to sports. You guys are ice ring, focus on the ice ring. You guys are hockey team, focus on hockey team or whatever. Like we don't want to hear about, you know, Black Lives Matter. We don't want to hear about all like API. What would you say to those people that are like fans of the Sharks, Mm -hmm. but at the same time would say those kind of things? To me, sports is a community in itself. And sports may be an outlet for a lot of people, but sports also teach people a lot of things about life. And if you want sports to just be sports, then you're taking out the most important aspect of it. And that's um, life lessons. Mm-hmm. If you're not going to teach life lessons, then don't play the sport. I, I teach kids, you know, obviously hockey, kids fall down, but what do you have to do to play? Like you have to get back up. Those are a lot of things that we, we try and instill in our kids. It's, it doesn't matter. You can cry for a half hour, but the next thing you're going to, next thing you know, you're going to be flying down the ice and you're just going to be smiling. Teaching our kids uh, resiliency is, is a life lesson that they have to learn because they're going to fail in life. And when they fail, they have to know that they can get back up and whether or not it just be you know a phone call or an email or text message, they can always call me and then we can talk about stuff. They know that they have my support in any, in anything. But that's one of the things I would tell all fans is sports will help make your kid a better person. And if we don't show that representation, or if we don't have that support for them in in this facility right now, then I don't know what's going to happen. But that's why it's important for sports franchises to speak up. And that's why it's important for everybody in the community to understand that it's not just sports, it's Mm -hmm. it's life. Mm-hmm. learn a lot more. Oakland Ice, they are doing incredible things. So please check them out. We are just so incredibly proud to have Chi as a colleague. I mean, like that was such a great conversation to, to have you here and again, hit, hear your perspectives. Thank you. I appreciate it. In our next episode, we will be joined by Kim Davis, Executive Vice President, Social Impact, Growth Initiatives, and Legislative Affairs at the NHL. Kim will tell us about how she went from a successful career in finance to being a leading change maker in professional sports. We touch on subjects such as leadership and resiliency, and Kim shares more than a few profound personal stories. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Teal for Change on the Sharks Audio Network. Thank you for listening to Teal for Change on the Sharks Audio Network. All music by Yogi Yend.